when it is all said and done, what I continue to come back to is that the 2021 Phoenix Suns were a special team. This was an organization that was coming off a decade of futility that had acquired a player that was on the downslope of his career. That was the perception of many who was supposed to be the focal point of this team. Um, a team anchored by one player who many incorrectly described as a ball hog and another player that many described incorrectly as a bust of a number one overall pick. Everyone misunderstood the Suns. They misunderstood how good Chris Paul is and what he means to the game of basketball and a game of basketball. They misunderstood the talent and skill that Devin Booker brings to the court. And they misunderstood just what a defensive anchor and defensive force DeAndre Ayton truly is. All of these things were missed. On top of that, James Jones had built an incredibly deep bench, an insanely good coaching staff. Everything here in Phoenix was top tier and still is top tier, but the speed at which everything came together last year was, I don't know if it was necessarily unprecedented. But it may have been unprecedented in the face of the history of futility that the Suns had had recently. And, I mean, Executive of the Year was, was well-deserved. It was a phenomenal year. You come up short. The Bucks came up short many other times. You know, they broke through, blah, blah, blah. These things occur. But it must be noted that Devin Booker is 24, becoming 25 this next season. Aiton is 22, 23 next season. The Suns' young core, who is locked in, and I'm going to go ahead and make the assumption that Bridges and Aiton are locked in because they should be. The team is publicly committed to paying them. They'd be foolish not to. The Suns were ahead of schedule and got so far and came so close and it's hard to deal with, but you have to look at it from that perspective. You want to say, well, you don't want to say, but you instinctively say, well, the team fell short. But truly what happened was the team was ahead of schedule and they will continue to grow and things will continue to get better. And truthfully, this may not be the last Suns Bucks finals that we see. You know, a lot of things can occur, but it's just important for me, for everyone else who is a Suns fan to take a step back and acknowledge what this season was. And I know other people have done this. Other fans have just moved on to Olympic basketball, and that's fine. Devin Booker's there for the first time. I understand that, too. But for me, for anyone who's been, ugh, it's just important to acknowledge how good this team was, what they meant, what, you know, what every player meant. This was truly a team effort. This was truly a, you know, maybe more than the sum of their parts. I, I don't know. It's It was just a phenomenal season. And I haven't wanted to talk about it simply because of my own, you know, personal frustration over it. I, you know, I believe there's a bright future for this team. But, you know, the the great story of the Suns organization has always been so close and such agony and it, you know, it continues into now. And it is my sincere hope that James Jones, Monty Williams, and Devin Booker can put an end to that. Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, there's a million other people who will play a role, but 
three main characters that I look at, the three people that I look to to lead us to break this. James, Monty, and Devin. And I believe that they will. But a phenomenal season, an incredible run to the finals that very few people outside of this podcast predicted. Truly an incredible season. Something we will never forget. But something that I hope is soon eclipsed. Because as cool as this was and as great as the season as it was, this team is too talented. Coming into this season, so many people are focused on so many other things, the Lakers, etc., etc. This team is too good. And with Chris Paul returning and campaign returning, and we'll discuss all of the moves and continuity and all of that, the Suns have now progressed from wouldn't it be cool if we want it to now it is time. And we're going to talk about that a lot going into next season. It is now time for the suns to ascend. It's time for the sunrise. And other than that, (laughs) it's going to be the last time I talk about this season. I love Phoenix. It was an incredible year. I love every player who ever participated on this team. Who played a minute on this team. I love all of them. And that's it. Let's go with the show. This is The Blunt Doctor Show on a very early Thursday morning. And I really wish I could say on a Wednesday because as previously discussed, pretty much every Blunt Doctor show that has begun with that on a Wednesday has gone really well. But I've been delayed and delayed and delayed. And so now we're on a Thursday and it is what it is. As we move into the next season of basketball. Just said pretty much everything I want to say about the Suns. Incredible year. Amazing. Love everyone on the team. Ahead of schedule. Difficult to deal with. And we'll move on. That's about it. Not sure what else there is to say. So we just won't. But we will discuss a few things. Moving into next season. As far as the draft goes, at one point I wanted to sit here and talk about, you know, what I thought of the draft, this, that, the other. I'm going to get people from different teams who drafted guys on. We're going to get a few people on. We're going to talk about what they think of their team's draft decisions, how they're building their team. I'm not going to sit here and talk about that because, as we know, the draft is a crapshoot. You know, it can go well. It can go poorly. But... Anyone who's going to have a really good idea about how a player fits into their team, does their team have good player development going on, all that good stuff is going to be someone who knows their local team. So we're going to get some people on over the next few days, discuss all of that stuff for now. We're not going to worry so much about the draft. I want to talk about free agency. There are still a few moves that are pending that need to be completed so that we can, you know, judge every single thing that's gone on but over the first few days here we really have seen quite a bit not necessarily a ton in terms of you know player movement from team to team but still some surprising things and I just want to go through everything team by team discuss what's been good what's been bad what I like what I don't like Um, and again as far as the draft goes You know, for today, I'm just going to say I like every draft pick because it's just, you know, it's really difficult to sit here and discuss. You know, if you go to Detroit people and Houston people and Cleveland people, pretty much everyone's like, oh, we got the best player in the draft. 
So, you know, great. Everyone's happy. And we all know that, you know, maybe it'll shake out that they're all phenomenal players. Maybe it'll shake out that it was really one of them. Maybe this, you know, we all know that there's any number of variable possibilities. But there's really no point discussing who won the draft until we know. We'll discuss with fans or analysts of those particular teams how they feel about those moves but we're not going to worry about judging those things today for now let's just look at you know free agency moves that have been made how they affect the teams all that good stuff and we will just go ahead and dive in and i'm honestly just going to take a look at all 30 teams we'll go in alphabetical order we'll just get a look at the moves that they've made let's talk about how we feel about them Let's go. Starting with the Atlanta Hawks. One move that obviously no one's shocked by, Trey Young getting his maximum extension. No one would be shocked by that. No one would argue it's a bad idea. You know, it's 100% locked in. Trey has basically exceeded the expectations of everyone. I mean... I thought it was going to be awesome. I didn't think he was going to be this awesome. Like, I don't, you know, it's very hard to describe how good Trey's been because he's been that fucking incredible. And we all knew that he would get the max and no shock there. One thing that did surprise me was the $125 million with John Collins over five years for Atlanta. Uh, You know, I thought that, you know, the Hawks and Collins had sort of soured on each other. Um, over the playoffs, Collins had some really meaningful moments, and it was like, man, he made his money back because, you know, at one point it was like, you know, some people thought he would get near Max, and then it was like, oh, I wouldn't pay Collins anywhere near one. You know, he didn't get the full Max everything, but he got paid nicely. Um, and by Atlanta, you know, that shocks me. I'm not, I'm not against it at all. I think it's a good idea. I think that especially with, you know, some of their veteran moves, especially with with a guy like Gallo. Like, you don't know necessarily how long that'll last. And with how Collins played in the playoffs, not necessarily. I mean, he didn't score a ton. You know, his numbers weren't gaudy, but he actually played pretty damn well on defense at times, made some huge plays that you wouldn't necessarily expect from him. Yeah, also threw down some sick-ass dunks like, wasn't perfect, but he was very good. And for a guy who I thought was like definitely headed out of Atlanta, it worked out. The Hawks also brought in Gorgie Jang and uh, they brought back Solomon Hill. Both of those one year deals. I mean, those are, those are fine. Hill's a good player. Jang's a good player. You know, these are not, uh, earth-shattering deals, but it certainly indicates that the Hawks believe that their run to the Eastern Conference Finals was not a fluke because they're prioritizing, you know, continuity and depth instead of trying to reshape and rebuild the roster. They believe this team is good. They believe this team will continue to be good. Um, and, you know, they're just trying to bolster it instead of, you know, rebuild it. And I think that's the right move for the Hawks. After a year like this, there's no way to guarantee that you can continue this success, but you certainly can't run away from it. Uh, And you certainly can't say, hey, we need to redo things. Uh, You need to go with it. And that's exactly what the Hawks are doing. It's smart. As far as the Celtics go, I mean, they're banking on a whole lot of youth right now. They've let a lot of dudes go. The interesting thing was when they traded for Evan Fournier, like everyone was like, oh, they're going to keep Fournier, blah, blah, blah. That was, you know, believed to be some sort of, you know, long-term deal. Obviously not Fournier's with the Knicks now. The Celtics bring back Ennis Cantor. Uh, Obviously, you know, the Celtics got rid of Kemba Walker, who also, by the way, interestingly enough, now with the Knicks. Um, You know, Brad Stevens... Seems to be sort of following the uh, the Danny Ainge model. We're going to make a lot of trades. They don't seem to be making a lot of free agency splashes, but 
You know, I think the bigger problem is with the Celtics, like, you know, they were in a position where they were contending for the title. And I think it's very clear now that they've taken a lot of steps back and maybe they should. You're rebuilding a little bit. Everything's about Tatum and Jalen Brown. You know, I understand those things. Um, which is very interesting that the Celtics, after identifying their two franchise stars, which is sort of the most difficult thing to do, instead of, you know, we're going to add veterans now. They had, like, added veterans before. Now they've identified their franchise stars and they're taking step back. Let's bring in younger players and younger players. And Jalen Brown being injured certainly has something to do with that. And the Kemba thing didn't work out. It's just, it's interesting. Usually you identify your franchise stars and then you start adding veteran pieces around them. And in this case, the Celtics had all these veterans. Then they identified their franchise stars. Now they're just kind of stepping back and building with young players and maybe it works and maybe we're just seeing a large adjustment from a, you know a team that was trying to compete to a team that's now shuffling the deck and has a new GM like it seems like Brad Stevens is operating in the same way as Danny but we're also farther back so it's just a little hard to figure out the Celtics right now. And so it's not shocking that, you know, they just kind of bring in a guy they know. No shock there. Up next is the Nets. Um, I actually really like the Patty Mills signing. I think that's a good addition for them. Um, They bring back Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin. They add James Johnson. I mean, all this stuff is, you know, they're nice depth signings, but ultimately it just, you know, for the Nets, it boils down to the same thing it did this season. Are Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant healthy? And do they have enough of defense and rim protection with whoever else is on the roster? Last year, they simply weren't healthy enough. You know, who knows what the case will be this year. But, you know, the Nets are, as far as other teams go in terms of like, well, what are the questions we need to ask? What is... You know, what are the different variables? We all know what it is with the Nets. Kyrie, James, Kevin. Are you healthy? If the answer is yes, they're a contender. If on top of that, they have enough defense and rim protection, they're a favorite. If they're not healthy and they don't have rim protection, or they are healthy but don't have rim protection, maybe they're still a favorite. You know, it's it really all depends. But the variables with the Nets, we all kind of know. And you know, they're going to be, I I said with the Bucks, you know, in this season, I don't care what they do in the regular season. All I care about is what they do in the playoffs. Well, there you go. They won a title. And that's what it is with the Nets. Like, I don't think anyone cares about the regular season. I don't care if they win 55 or 65 games. Like, it doesn't matter. All that matters with the Nets is what they do in the playoffs. Are they healthy in the playoffs? Do they win rings? You know, there's just certain situations where you construct a team in a way that we all know what you're trying to do. And, you know, I think the Nets have built adequate depth so that they can compete in the regular season, even when their stars are sitting or hurt. Um, You know, I like these moves, but we all know that when it comes to the Nets, it's championship or bust, especially this season. Um, You know, Kevin sat out that first season. Then Kyrie was hurt most of this year. You know, they acquired James this year. We're coming into the third year of this experiment. And I think that this year, really, truly, the Nets are going to be hell-bent on winning a title. So, you know, these signings are nice. Um, You love to have depth if you're the Nets, especially in the regular season. You want to be able to... um, you know, get your guys rest, but we all know come playoff time, the Nets are going to have like a six man rotation and it's going to come down to what the three stars are able to do. So, you know, nice depth signing, not sure how much it matters in the long run. The Hornets, um, 
They traded Devontae Graham to the Pelicans and got Ish Smith on a one-year deal. Um, I think they got like a first-round pick for the Devontae Graham thing. I haven't gone through all the details of that. Look, whatever they got for Devontae Graham was good. The dude is like a career 37% shooter. I'm not really sure what all the fascination with him is. I know he had a couple of good games here and there, but... um, the biggest thing about this Devontae Graham sign-in trade to the Pelicans is that it makes me feel like David Griffin isn't a very good GM. Uh, you know, he, I mean, yeah, he got a nice haul for Drew Holiday, but that included a player in Eric Bledsoe who, like, became a negative contract, and now he's given up assets to sign player, sign a player with a negative shooting percentage, and they gave a contract to Steven Adams that they then had to find a way to get rid of. Like, I'm not really feeling what the Pelicans have done. And the simple fact of the matter is that the core problem that the Pelicans have is that Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram can't play together. That's just the biggest thing. Those two guys can't defend, and they basically play the two most important positions. I mean, these days, like, you know, your 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 power forward, your wings are kind of your most important players. And I mean, I guess it's really hard to argue like what is Zion? Like I don't, you know, he they play him at point guard, they play him at center, they play I, you know, I understand all these things, but especially when it comes to defense, they end up defending the three and four. And, you know, or the four and five or and it really doesn't matter. They can't defend anyone. They are the two focal points of your offense and they can't defend anybody. They're basically two defensive black holes in your lineup. And you can get away with that in certain situations. But now you're adding Devonte Graham and it's not that he's like a horrendous, you know, whatever, but he's like undersized. So you're just compounding the problem and so I just don't really understand what the Pelicans are doing and furthermore basically everyone identified that the best player playing with Zion was Lonzo like Zach Lowe said it like everyone is you know a lot of people said that so you've the whole Ingram and Zion thing really doesn't work Lonzo and Zion did work so you prioritized Ingram, you let Lonzo leave for, you know, sign and trade of whatever. And now you've like doubled down on the problem by getting another guy who can't, it just, it makes no sense. The solution for the Pelicans was to keep Lonzo and then trade Brandon Ingram for a player that fits like a defensive wing you know, kind of thing. There, there. You know, there are deals out there. I'm not going to sit here and go through it, but the real correct solution was to keep Lonzo. And I'm not even like a Lonzo. You know, go back. I'm not a Lonzo guy. I've been pretty negative on Lonzo, but it fits with Zion. They play well together. And if you believe that Zion is your focal point, again, I'm not a Zion guy, but the Pelicans are. And if you believe that Zion is your focal point, you should be prioritizing keeping guys that play well with Zion. And Lonzo was 1A on that list. And now you've let him go. Brandon Ingram, who not only doesn't play super well with Zion, but also takes the ball out of his hands in important situations where Zion should have the ball. So you've just made... Poor decisions and compounded them. I don't like anything uh, that New Orleans has done. Um, that being said, I know we were talking about the Hornets here. <laughs> um, I like that the Hornets got stuff for Devontae Graham. Um, you know, that's a smart choice. And Ishmith is a perfect kind of, you know, backup point guard dude to replace him who's not going to take too many shots, who's just going to run the offense. Uh the Hornets, the Hornets have it going on. They've, they're figuring stuff out. I really like what the Hornets are doing. As far as the Bulls go, um, the Bulls have been active. They added Demar Derozan. They added Lonzo Ball. They added Alex Caruso. 
They added Daniel Tice. They added Tony Bradley. This is after, of course, they added Vooch at the trade deadline. Uh, you're looking at a lineup that's something to the effect of, you know, depending on how it all goes. It, you know, it looks like it could be Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Patrick Williams, and Vooch. Uh, I suppose there's scenarios in which it could be Lonzo, Caruso, Levine, DeRozan, Vooch. If you were going for like, you know, a hyper small scoring lineup, you know, Caruso's a good defender in there. Um, you know, I think you still might get roasted defensively. I don't know. It's interesting. Everyone's like super hyped on the Bulls. I just, I'm not really like everyone's like the Bulls are definitely a playoff team. They could be a contender. I just don't really, I don't know. I'm not really that hyped on the Bulls. I'm not a big Caruso guy. I think that Caruso really benefited from playing for the Lakers. And I think that his style of like slapping people around on defense and shit won't matter as much when he doesn't have LeBron next to him. I think they way overpaid him. Um, you know, DeMar was really getting hated on. And then he went to the Spurs and he kind of turned that around. I'm really surprised at the number. Um, I just, I don't, how does it work with the Bulls? Like, Lonzo is a good point guard for that unit because obviously Levine and DeMar need the ball and Lonzo doesn't. So, like, I get the idea. In that case, he's obviously not even necessarily the point guard. But uh, Levine, DeMar, and Vooch all kind of need the ball to be successful. I don't know how it all fits necessarily. And, you know, if it's just like, well, Lonzo and Caruso and Pat Williams are such good defenders that, you know, you cycle because it's, it, those should be the six. And maybe it's just like, oh, we're going to cycle them in and out. And, you know, maybe, um, everyone is so hyped on the bulls and I just, I'm a little hesitant. Um, Cavaliers, the big thing with the Cavs is that everyone is hyped about Evan Mobley. They also give Jared Allen five years and a hundred million. Um, it's just really hard to judge the Cavs. I mean, they're so young. At one point, you know, they were looking at trading almost all of their young pieces for Ben Simmons. It's just, it's hard to, um, you acquired Jared Allen. You basically stole him while you were facilitating a trade. There's no way you weren't going to sign him. And, you know, if it turns out that Evan Mobley is just, you know, needs to play center and can't play with Allen or whatever, then Jared Allen is on a pretty reasonable contract that you can trade that's, you know, under team control for a long time. You know, overall, I think that the moves that the Cavs have made are pretty reasonable. You know, you had to take Mobley at that position. You had to keep Allen. I don't think there's really anything to hate. I don't think that any of us are expecting big things from the Cavs this year, and I don't think that we should. I just think that they're making the right moves. So, The Mavericks. Now, this may be the first team where, you know, people don't agree with me. You know, they brought back Hardaway. 18 million a season, not horrible. They brought back Boban. They signed Sterling Brown. They signed Reggie Bullock. You know, these are good players. They're fine. And I don't think that there's a ton of things that the Mavs could have done in this situation that were necessarily a whole lot better. But I think the problem that we always ignore with the Mavericks is that we're always like, well, what could they have done? And we sort of ignore the fact that the reason that they're in the what could they have done situation is because they previously made a horrendous mistake. And I have gone through the whole Mavs history and I was one time writing a deep dive on Mark Cuban's moves that I never ended up publishing. But the point is that, you know, they couldn't move up to get Giannis because they needed an extra $100,000 or something to be able to offer Dwight Howard a max contract that he never took. And that, you know, tortured the future of the franchise. And 
you know, they made all these moves and all these trades and some of them worked out and they got one ring out of it. And, but the simple fact of the matter is that there's always a situation where the Mavericks are like, well, they did the best they could, but the reason they had to do the best they could is because they made the previous critical mistake. And in this case, it's Chris Tapps Porzingis. That was, it's still a forgivable or understandable mistake. Like I get it. You know, you look at yourself and you say, okay, yeah, but you know, the blah, blah, this, that, or the other, they were in this situation. You know, we hadn't seen him play. We knew what he had done for the Knicks when he had played. Yeah, he was hurt. You know, I understand all of those things, but you also still kind of, you have to live with the choices that you made. And so all of these things that we talk about with the Mavs or, you know, the redemption of them or this was a nice move and they did the best they could, blah, blah, blah. It all comes from the fact that they acquired a player who wasn't healthy, who hadn't played in a long time. And then they just gave that player a max extension. And if you're a person who, you know, views Luca as one of, you know, the best three, four, five players in the league. I don't really think that there's any other way to look at the Kristaps Porzingis extension other than to say that the Mavs wasted several years of Luca's career because there are just a lot of better teams they could have built rather than trying to force a player who's, you know, not working into, you know, a star role with star minutes. And so, you know, for all the things that you can sit here and say about, you know, the Mavs did this and that, and they, you know, they signed some nice players, but you're trying to make up for the fact that you basically wasted a maximum contract slot on a black hole. And that sucks, but, you know, all of these moves don't mean a whole lot. They're just, you know, it's rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. And that doesn't mean that the Mavs are, like, doomed forever. It's just that, you know, you're wasting, like, three years of Luca's prime, three, four years. Because Luca's going to have a longer prime than many people and you're wasting many of those years because you just believed in Chris Tapp's sort of sight unseen. You know, they didn't even really like let him get to free agency. I, I don't know. I just think it was a mistake. And I think it comes back to haunt them. And for as many nice deals as they sign, you don't have a deep enough team. You're still going to play Kristaps Porzingis. He's still a black hole in a lot of ways. They're basically screwed until they can get off that deal. So the Nuggets, I really hate what the Nuggets did. You know, Austin Rivers had his moments. They brought him back. Um, Jeff Green, late in his career, has... He's enjoyed a resurgence, and he's become a valuable role player. Um, they bring back um, Jamichael Green and, and Will Barton. You know, these are not, you know, again, the Nuggets are, you know, they're doing this sort of Brooklyn thing. It's like depth. We know Jokic. Um, you know, we know that they're waiting on Jamal Murray. Um, who knows what happens with Aaron Gordon long term? You know, there's... You know, I don't know exactly where that will go over the next few years. But we kind of know what the Nuggets are doing is retooling to, um, you know, to just kind of rebuild the same team and, you know, around essentially Jokic, Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray. They're going to build as much depth as they can. They hope to get Jamal Murray back this season, and I don't think that you could complain in any way about their moves. The Pistons, I mean, you know, it's it's all about youth. I mean, you know, Corey Joseph, Kelly Olynyk, Trey Lyles, Saban Lee. Again, you know, these are just you know Saban Lee's a young player, but otherwise these are just veterans. 
coming in to play with really young guys, help them learn about winning a little bit. You know, but with the Pistons, it's all about Cade. It's all about Killian. It's all about building the young guys. So you really can't judge or hate on anything they did in terms of free agency. Warriors. Resign Steph Curry to a four-year extension. You got to do that if you're the Warriors. Um, they sign Otto Porter. I really like that as a role-player deal for them. I think that that's something that really fits in well. Uh, Otto Porter's the kind of guy who's going to have like a really nice year with the Warriors. And people are like, oh, shit, Otto Porter's actually good. And someone's going to overpay him kind of thing next free agency. That's kind of what I see there. Um, they got Nemanja Bielica as well, who... Left the NBA for a bit, came back. But, you know, just the Warriors doing their same kind of thing where they, you know, they bring in guys who know how to play. You're a veteran. You know what's up. You know, we respect what the Warriors are doing. Um, Looks like they're probably going to let Kelly Oubre go. Um, Understandable. Um, You know, the Warriors are kind of banking on the idea that they can come back with uh, Steph, a finally healthy clay draymond uh you know they can get some improvement from wiseman and then you know again you had a guy like otto porter you got wiggins like you know i get i i understand the idea of of what the warriors are doing and i and i don't hate it at all and you know again they're still pretty much capped out so you got to do kind of the best that you can if you're the warriors and without the LA mystique that the Lakers have and without being the like multi-time defending champion that they once were, I think they did pretty damn good here. So the Rockets, uh, I think I may have said earlier, the Bulls um, signed Tice. They actually signed and traded Tice to uh, the Rockets. Um, the Rockets also signed David Nwaba. I mean, for the Rockets, it's all about, again, the youth. You've got Christian Wood. He's mid-20s, but, you know, they acquired KPJ last year. They took Jalen Green in the draft. You know, that's really all Rockets fans care about that right now. And, you know, rightfully so. Those are the most important things for them. And, you know, the future is probably very bright. Again, we'll get Rockets people in here to talk about the Rockets' future soon. The Pacers... um, they got Tory Craig from the Suns. As I always say, Tory Craig minutes are winning minutes, so there's no way for me to hate that. Good for Tory. He got a little money. He deserved it. Um, the weird deal to me is, you know, TJ McConnell, it's like four years and thirty-five million. And you know, I hate to hate on TJ. Um, he's a U of A guy. I just it, it that's a lot of money to me. It's you know, it's like eight. Nine million a season, like he's a little short of ten, but um, it was just a large contract to me for T.J. McConnell for what you can get. Um, and the Pacers are a notoriously cheap team, so it was just kind of surprising. I mean, good for T.J. and his agent getting his money, but um, a little bit surprising. Uh, and then the Pacers also signed Kiefer Sykes, who's a guy I don't really know, but he did hit. The uh, game-winning shot um, in the TBT tournament, the basketball tournament, the other night. Uh, and he was playing for Bayheim's Army, I think. Which So I believe he went to Syracuse. Could be wrong. Um, but, you know, the Pacers, same as always. Adding good players. Um, probably not. It's They're middling. It's fine. I love Torrey Craig. I don't know if the Pacers have the infrastructure for him to be as effective as he could be, but we'll see the Clippers. Um, they bring back Nicholas Batum, valuable role player for them. Of course, the Clippers are waiting on Kawhi. Pretty much all of us know Kawhi's headed back to the Clippers. It's just, is it a long-term deal? A one plus one, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of minutia possibility, but I don't really have any anticipation that, that, you know, Kawhi would go anywhere. Um, and until he does, we'll just assume he's there. Now, okay. <laughs> Here's the real one that's a point of contention for everybody, or at least a point of disagreement, because 
as we know, the Lakers acquired Russell Westbrook, and then they added Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, Trevor Ariza, Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington, Kent Bazemore, Kendrick Nunn, and re-signed Taylor Horton Tucker. Now, number one. I see a lot of people asking the question, is this Lakers team a super team? <laughs> and the answer to that is obviously no. Um, Anthony Davis is an incredible player, but he has one ring and very little playoff experience outside of that. So, you know, he's not an MVP, nothing, a very good player. But, you know, LeBron is obviously LeBron, but still 36-year-old LeBron. Um, but... You know, those two are not necessarily they're they are the basis for a super team, but you need a third star because those two are not like the best two players in the league or something. LeBron and AD are amazing, but Anthony Davis with some of his injury issues and whatnot is a very good top tier, not quite best of the league player. And LeBron is just older than he once was and it's, you know, life. I, I don't know. Um, I, I still think of LeBron in the, in the Tom Brady aspect of always able to just be able to force the issue. He's still incredible. He's still at that level. Um, but with Anthony Davis, I honestly, my issue with the Lakers being called a super team is more about Anthony Davis than it is about LeBron, if we're being honest. Because LeBron is LeBron, and then Anthony Davis is good but really only has one truly great playoff run. And then now you've added Russell Westbrook, who, like, previously we were ragging on him as being, like, negative, but then add him to the Lakers and it makes it a super team? I don't really understand that idea. And I I think the Lakers' construction this year makes more sense. Last year I didn't get it at all. You add, like, Gasol and Harrell and all these other dudes who you know, guys who aren't necessarily going to play down the stretch. And now you've given yourself an opportunity. You say, okay, if we play AD at the five and LeBron at the four, we have all these other options. You've got Russell Westbrook. You've got Kendrick Dunn. You've got Wayne Ellington. Uh, you've got Carmelo Anthony. You know, we've got all these different guys who can sort of play on the wing. But the other thing about that is that we know how LeBron treats these situations and how much he favors veterans. And, you can see, you know, AD doesn't want to play the five. And so you can see a scenario where it ends up being like Russell Westbrook and, you know, Kent Bazemore and LeBron and AD and Dwight Howard. And like, that's a horrible lineup because a lineup that makes way more sense is say like, I mean, just truthfully, like Kendrick Nunn, Taylor Horton Tucker, Wayne Ellington, LeBron, and AD, like those lineups just make more sense. And some of those guys are a little younger. Maybe they're not as much playoff proven, but just truthfully, the Lakers are better when LeBron's playing at the four, AD's playing at the five, and then you have other shooters. And Russell Westbrook is just going to be a detriment to this team because Russell Westbrook is of the, you know, it's him and Simmons and Giannis, just these dudes who... Just put shooters around them and let them be a wrecking ball and put shooters around them. That's what he is. And I think Zach Lowe said, like, you know, LeBron shouldn't be the best shooter on a team. Well, you know, whether or not LeBron is the best shooter is not the issue. The point is you're taking the ball out of his hands and putting it in Westbrook's hands. And maybe you're saying, well, but have you considered the Westbrook-LeBron pick and roll? Okay, sure. And the Westbrook-AD pick and roll. I get those things. But in the playoffs... If you brought back Dwight Howard because you intend to play him, and you brought back Gasol because you intend to play him, and so you're trying to tell me that you're going to play Gasol and Howard at the five, eighty at the four, LeBron at the three, you're just, you're again going to have no spacing. And I would honestly be way higher on the Lakers if they just did not acquire Westbrook and they just kept the team they had and then acquired all these other dudes that I'd be like, wow, it's a whole lot of shooting. And you might say, well, it's not as much creation. Okay. So put the ball in LeBron's hands. 
like put the ball in LeBron's hands with all these shooters around him and, you know, then keep Dwight Howard. And I just, I really think the, the Westbrook thing will be a major detriment to Lakers season. And I'm happy they did it. Um, Kendrick Nunn and Malik, Malik Monk were the ones that I was like, damn, <laughs> Ariza is like funny. Um, Ellington's fine. Bazemore is kind of funny, <laughs> but, uh, I expected them to bring back Taylor Horton Tucker, but Kedrick Dunn and Malik Monk, I was like, damn, those dudes fit. We'll see if they play. Grizzlies haven't done anything, you know, aside from the, the Jonas Valanciunas, Steven Adams, that whole thing. Fine. The Miami Heat. Whole lot of moves here. And... It's very interesting. You know, I had a boatload of Kyle Lowry deals that I thought were interesting last year, and everyone thought I was crazy. And one of the most interesting ones was, and I hate to slam them again, but was Lowry to the Pelicans. Everyone told me I was crazy, and it turns out this year the Pelicans wanted Lowry. And, well, we know how that goes. He goes to Miami. And on top of that, Jimmy Butler agrees to an extension. Duncan Robinson agrees to a five-year extension. P.J. Tucker uh, agrees to sign with uh, the Heat after leaving Milwaukee. Uh, Victor Oladipo's coming back. They signed Gabe Vincent, Max Stress, Dwayne Dedman, Markeith Morris. The Heat are, I mean, you know, they're basically banking on veteran talent, continuity, and the whole Miami Heat way thing. You know, Kyle Lowry's a little older, but we know how good he is. We know his connection with Jimmy Butler. Really, the most surprising stuff to me here is I'm surprised they gave Jimmy Butler the extension right now. They didn't have to. Uh, This is an early deal. Uh, You know, it's obviously a commitment. Um, It's a commitment to, you know, Butler and Lowry and Bam and everything. And I understand why they do it. It's just... You know, it's surprising to see, but it also goes to show, hey, you know, this is the Miami team. You're going to have Kyle Lowry. You're going to have Duncan Robinson. You have Jimmy Butler. You have Bam Adebayo. You know, these are your guys. These are your core. Um, you know, it's pretty much set in Miami right now. It's, you know, an interesting group. Um, you know, P.J. Tucker coming off his, you know, first title right now. Ugh. But, uh, you know, certainly gives a veteran presence and, you know, I he kind of fits the Miami culture. This Miami team's a little older, but um, in you know, this is basically a direct shot at how they're going to fight Milwaukee. I think that's the idea. Um, and you know, I don't hate these moves at all. I, I you know, I think if you're a Miami fan, I think you got to be pretty happy with what they did because I don't know, you know, how many other big time options made you know any sort of sense like was john collins a better fit than kyle lowry you know would he even been willing to leave is he a miami guy i don't know you know so i i'm if if i'm a miami fan i'm pretty happy i know that not all miami fans were but if i'm a miami fan i'd be happy the bucks bring back bobby portis Finals hero and enemy of this podcast, but obviously a move you have to make. Um, they add Semi Ojale from the Celtics. That's a fine whatever move. And they bring back George Hill. Uh, pretty good move. Older guard, but, you know, just in terms of bringing back role player depth, that's something you need to do. Timberwolves really haven't done anything um, during this period, and I don't think anyone expected to do much of that, so not too shocking. Um Again, the Pelicans, you bring on Devontae Graham. It's a horrible decision, not just necessarily bringing him on. You know, that's kind of whatever, but, you know, giving up assets to get him, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, You add Thomas Sadoransky and Garrett Temple in the sign-and-trade with the Bulls for Lonzo. Those are whatever moves. They're fine. Um you know, it's nothing special at all. Um, and then they re-signed Didi Luzada. Fine. 
you know, these are none of these things. They don't move the needle. The simple fact of the matter is, in my opinion, I think that the Pelicans are not dealing with their primary problem. And that is, you know, Ingram, Ingram and Zion can't play together. And until you deal with Ingram and Zion can't play together, all this other stuff is window dressing. It just doesn't matter, man. The Knicks. I mean, look, we're obviously past the point where no one believes that the Knicks are like a marquee franchise anymore. No one believes the Knicks are a free agency destination anymore. We've we've gotten past that. Kevin Durant choosing the Nets, I think, was pretty much the final nail in the coffin because it was like you had Kyrie and KD who were, you know, guys who both wanted to play in New York and sort of grew up the idea of idolizing playing in New York. And the Nets were not even from there when they were kids. And they still chose Brooklyn. And it just, you know, you know, it goes to show you what people think of James Dolan and the Knicks in general. And so, obviously, you know, I understand their pivot to, you know, bringing in, you know, former agents and all these things. Um, I don't hate the moves they're making. You know, again, we've gotten over the idea that they're going to bring in the best people. So do everything you can to just bring in talent. Kemba Walker. Evan Fournier, you bring back Derrick Rose, you bring back Nerlens Noel, you bring back Alex Burks, Alec Burks, you bring back Todd Gibson. Like these are all decent players. None of these guys are bad. Kemba specifically probably is going to get a jolt from playing in a Madison Square Garden, which is probably where he has always wanted to be. He's just finally getting healthy. He didn't have to spend a year exiled in Oklahoma City like Chris Paul did. Um, I like what the Knicks did. I don't think that... I think that... I think I saw Rudy say... And forgive me if I'm wrong, Rudy. I think I saw Rudy say that... You know, he thought the Knicks would end up being better than the Bulls. I, I, I just put those two teams in the same place. I see people being like, oh man, the Bulls are going to be incredibly good. I think the Knicks are kind of going to be... The same level of good. You know, they're going to be decent. You know, they're going to be, eh, whatever. The Hawks will be better than both. You know, I was wrong about the Knicks-Hawks and how good the Hawks truly were. And I think that, you know, these are these teams, the Knicks and, and, and the like are good teams, but back end of the playoff sort of teams. People who believe in the Bulls as like a contender are just wrong. The Thunder bring back Muscala and uh, Shea, Gil just, Shea Gilgis Alexander agrees to that, you know, five-year max. Good for him. Um, you know, who knows what the Thunder are going to be. I'm not going to talk about them. Um, Magic bring in Robin Lopez and Mo Wagner. Um, just continuing the idea that the Orlando Magic cannot have enough centers. You know, plenty of other teams have tried. The Pistons have tried. But, you know, if you are seven foot tall, the Magic will sign you. And it really just doesn't matter if you're good at basketball or have a position or any of those things. Danny Green returns to the 76ers. Um, they bring back Furkan Korkmaz. They sign George Niang. The real funny thing about the 76ers offseason is that they get Andre Drummond on a one-year deal. Now, aside from, you know, the Lakers and... Uh, 76 are swapping centers and Howard and Drummond on one-year deals. Drummond and Embiid have been at each other for years. And at first, you know, Drummond was like, Embiid hasn't even been to the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. And then Embiid was like, Drummond sucks, <laughs> you know, blah, blah. And now Drummond has to back him up. And I'm just curious, you know, they might play nice and all these things, but that could be, there could be some some powder keg there. My Phoenix Suns re-signed Chris Paul on a four-year deal. Hell yes. Bring back Cameron Payton on a three-year deal. Hell yes. Bring back Abdel Nader. Fine. I'm fine with Abdul coming back. The one thing I really love about the Suns this offseason, obviously, aside from bringing everyone back, is JaVale McGee. I really advocated all last season that the Suns needed a better backup center. 
I even said, let's get JaVale McGee. Well, maybe if they had gotten him last season, things would have gone differently. But the Suns addressed basically all of their needs. Good offseason. Now really all you got to do is extend Bridges and Aiton. And I believe they will. The Blazers. So Dame... You know, there was the whole complicated hiring process and, you know, he endorsed people and then people questioned his endorsement and this, that, and the other. He wants the team to be better. Cody Zeller, Tony Snell. uh, And then they just bring back Norm Powell on a five-year deal. Like, you know, Dame was pretty clear he wanted the team to improve and they basically did nothing. And, you know, the onus was on them to find a way essentially to complete the CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons deal. That kind of was on them, especially if you were going to be able to keep Norm Powell and, you know, trying to find a way to fit those three, but everything the Blazers did this off season only strengthens my belief that Dame Lillard will be the biggest, you know, superstar to be traded next. Um, If you count Ben Simmons, fine but dame would be right after him and you know it's still possible they'll be part of the same trade so not a fan of what the the blazers did the kings re-signed rashawn holmes to a deal it's four year and 55 million good for rashawn holmes good for the kings he's a good player i don't know necessarily how he fits into what they're doing with bagley or whatever but you know if you're just going to sit here and tell me we like De'Aaron Fox and Rashawn Holmes. I'm going to listen to that and say, okay, I like it. Um, signed Alex Len, Mo Harkless, Terrence Davis. Again, these are middling whatever deals. Rashawn Holmes is a good player you don't want to let go. And good for him for getting his money. Um, the Spurs are tanking for the first time since, like, 98 when they got Duncan or whatever. I mean... Zach Collins, Doug McDermott, Bryn Forbes, Jock Landale, Chandler Hutchison. These aren't even worth talking about. You know, they let DeMar go. They've still got some, you know, nice young players, Derek White, DeWante Murray, things like this. But, I mean, (laughs) I wouldn't expect much from the Spurs this year. So, Dragic is on the Raptors in the whole Kyle Lowry deal. Gordon Dragic. Could still be traded to Dallas. That's supposedly what he wants. Who knows how that'll go. But for now, Gordon Dragic is part of the Raptors. Raptors re-signed Gary Trent after the, you know, again, the Norm Powell-Gary Trent trade with the Blazers. Kyle Lowry heads to Miami. Uh, And apparently the Raptors also signed Sam Decker, which I had not heard until reading this right now. Cool, good for them. The Raptors in a bit of a state of flux. And... I'll just be honest with you, as a gambler, I'm very interested in the Raptors over-under next season because I'm going to be looking at that under without Kyle Lowry around. The Jazz bring back Mike Conley, sign Rudy Gay, sign Hassan Whiteside, and acquire Eric Pascal. Jazz are basically running it back and acquiring depth. You really can't hate on what the Jazz are doing. They came close last year. Donovan Mitchell was hurt. Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of the Jazz roster in general or like a big believer in what they're doing. But if you were a Jazz fan and you saw everything that occurred, I understand why you might do that. Uh, the only thing is, I don't know how much longer we're going to go with pretending that, you know, Rudy Gobert can be an elite player in the playoffs because he really can't. And that is really the critical flaw from, you know, this Jazz offseason is that they still don't have the answer to that question though i you know their owner is a diehard jazz fan who believes in mitchell and gobert so i'm not actually sure they ever will have the answer and then finally the washington wizards sign howell netto and acquire spencer dinwiddie in what is quite possibly the most complicated sign and trade in history uh, which includes like five teams. But as we all know with the Wizards, 
we're just sitting here waiting until the Beal situation plays out with an extension or a trade. So, and that is the free agency recap and the breakdown of the NBA Finals that I am capable of doing, which was really not a breakdown, but just a discussion of how we view the Suns. <laughs> it is what it is. I love basketball. This was tough for me. We need to enjoy what the Phoenix Suns were able to do. We need to look at situations where there was a great achievement and not always judge it by the end game. It was a phenomenal year. Again, a year that for a lot of people came out of nowhere. It didn't come out of nowhere for me. I truly believed for a long time this team would take it home. But it was a special team that meant a lot to a lot of people at an important time. And the biggest thing for this Suns team is that this work is unfinished. And with the majority of this team coming back, there's so much more that can should and will be accomplished. Go Suns. That's the Blunt Doctor Show. Peace.